We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now it's time for Inside the Clubhouse, a show dedicated to the Chicago baseball fan, featuring the best Chicago baseball conversation, as well as the big MLB topics, along with the biggest names, greatest guests, and listener interaction, starring score baseball insider Bruce Levine and half of Chicago's number one sports morning show, David Haw, on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, a radio.com sports Station presented by Bet Rivers Sportsbook. Good Saturday morning, Saturday Chicago. Morning. Happy holidays, and thank you for joining us inside the clubhouse right here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score, broadcasting live from the Hyundai Sports Studios. I am David Haw, along with Bruce Levine, and we are here for our last Saturday show of 2021. Bruce, it's going to be a Hall of Fame edition. I say that with all confidence because we know who the guests are and we can say that without lying to the audience. Good morning, buddy. How you doing? Good morning, David. Yeah, it's a, a nice way to kick off or, or to say goodbye to the year 2021. And uh, we do have two Hall of Famers. Jim Cott, the latest, one of the latest additions to the Hall of Fame, will be joining us. And the one and only... Greg Maddox uh, joining us at 10 o'clock as well. So lots of Hall of Fame talk, lots of conversation about the Hall of Fame, lots of conversation about the Cubs and White Sox. We're here for you always at 312-644-6767, where David will put you on either text or phone. He will read what is worthy to be on the radio. And David, uh, I guess, yeah, yeah, go ahead. We're going to try to uh, wrap up the Cubs and Sox and our takeaways from 2021. I'm sure other people have opinions, Bruce. And we're also going to talk about, um, obviously, uh, in, in a moment, we'll update everybody on the, the minimal news that came out of the, the, the talks this week between the uh, Players Association and Major League Baseball as the lockout drags on. But we all, we're, we're going to spend most of this time talking about the Hall of Fame balloting process and the Hall of Fame selection process, the criteria that is used. And I uh, announced my ballot earlier this week uh, on the Mullion Haw show, and I, I was roughed up so much I had to take a couple of days off, Bruce. That's why I was not uh, at work on Thursday and Friday. But no, in all seriousness, there, there is a That's lot of fun conversation. That's what you get for sharing it, David. Yeah. That's what well, you get for sharing it. Exactly. We'll get into that. But um, we uh, we do have some news this week. I mean, there there hasn't been a ton of news, but we we have had some, Bruce, and, uh, and that's why we're talking baseball. There's something to talk about every every Saturday. A- absolutely, David. And uh, w- when you talk about uh, you know good news and bad news, bad news, of course. So we lost 
an iconic person uh, in Chicago and baseball in uh, the passing of Roland Heeman at age uh, 92. Roland, one of the great, I called him, uh, there are a few people that fall into this category for me over the years, David, and uh, uh, Ernie Harwell was one, and uh, I will put Roland Heeman in as another as baseball's best friend. And by that, I mean he gave much more uh, than he took in his uh, 60 years or plus in the game of baseball. Um, He was a a wonderful baseball guy, three times executive of the year, uh, voted on by his peers. And um, more importantly, um, the type of guy that gave back to uh, young people uh, just starting out in baseball uh, in Groves. He would... uh, Every, every year at the winter meetings, uh, Roland would uh, stand uh, in the middle of uh, the main area of a hotel and talk to uh, tons and tons of, you know, hundreds, maybe thousands of young people who are entry-level type uh, college students looking for jobs in the minor leagues. Roland was always there to give them his phone number them his phone number, give him, give them his uh, support, give them a, a reference if they needed it. Uh, he was the most selfless man I had ever met in the, the game of baseball. Just a wonderful, wonderful guy and an accomplished guy. Uh, just uh, very uniquely uh, the type of guy. And I, David, I don't know if you've known people like this, but mm-hmm. if he got your name, he would repeat it probably five or six times in the first conversation he had with you. And after (laughs) that, (laughs) 60 years later, if he hadn't seen you, he still had your name. He was just that type of individual. Even little details about how you you became acquaintances or how you were connected. And I did not have as uh, direct a relationship with him for you as, as you did for as long as you did. But even in in dealing with Roland at this stage of the latter stages of his career, he had this knack for remembering the last time you spoke with him and what it was about. Uh, This was the link in Chicago to Bill Veck. This was somebody who had a profound impact on several organizations that felt a sense of loss this week. The Orioles, the Diamondbacks, the White Sox, you know, and you just look at the game of baseball in, in order to see to see just the gravity uh, and the impact that he had on so many people and just by being himself bruce just like going to winter meetings back in the day and setting up a table you know with a sign open for business and these kinds of folksy uh things and approaches it's the good old days literally and so it's a loss 92 years old what a what a life well well lived though bruce in baseball outside of baseball and when you think about the, the, the caliber of the people and the individuals that he brought into the game or gave their big breaks, it's a very, very long list, as we found out this week. Right. Uh, you know, Tony La Russa would be there. Uh, Ozzie Guillen showing up on uh, the south side of Chicago. Uh, <laughs> so so many other uh, memories. I, I, I'll, I'll share this one anecdote with you uh, on, uh, on Roland, and that is that um, one time I was working on a trade story, and Roland was uh, – the general, still the general manager of the White Sox, and I called him. And as always, he picks up the phone right away, okay? Never dodges a phone call. Bruce, what can I do for you? How are you? You know, how's the, how's the family? I mean, you know, the whole thing. And then mm-hmm. I said, Roland, I'm working on this story. You know, apparently, uh, you know, the Brewers are interested in blank player for you, and I, I'm trying to get an off-the-record uh, 
you know, support on this because I'm, I'm ready to do this story. He goes, well, Bruce, you know, I'm always here for you. I'm ready to talk, but uh, I don't share in, in, any information uh, on players or uh, possible trades. And I said, well, Roland, uh, why, why not? I mean, uh, you, 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 you are confident in me. You trust me. He goes, well, Jerry Reinsdorf is the guy that um, he, he's the one that signs my checks. He's the one I work for, and he gets all the information from me, and nobody else does. So as much as I like you, and I, I, I wish you well, and I know what a wonderful reporter you are and try, are trying to be, I, I can't help you uh, when it comes to uh, sharing information. That's for Jerry Reinsdorf and Jerry Reinsdorf alone. And he said it in the, in the nicest, you know, most Roland-like way of taking right. the time to explain Basically saying buzz off, uh, but right. in the in the nicest manner, and and that was the the essence of, of Roland Heeman, just a Ooh. a wonderful guy, and uh, treated people just like the way you'd want to be treated. Quick story before before we move on from this, because it, it brought to mind a lot of things in our interactions, but to me it says everything about the way that Roland Heeman approached his job and relationships. We all know Dave Dombrowski, you know the the executive who. Uh, as a local guy, Pillows Heights, I believe, Bruce. And, and so he was a 21-year-old senior, I think, at Western Michigan. And I can remember talking to Roland Heeman about this story and him telling the story with the pride of a father and just with the, the, the impact of what he had. Well, apparently as a senior in, in, um, in college, uh, Dombrowski had interviewed Roland Heeman for a paper or for a project and said, you know, and he gave him the advice and the, the way it goes and, and wished him well. And then he was later that uh, during the winter meetings, Dombrowski had on his own dime paid for him to go to the winter meetings that year as a, as a kid looking for a job. And he remembered that you know interaction, and that impressed Roland so much that he um, he hired Dave Dombrowski, gave him his first big break, and so that was something that you know it was. The beginning of a special relationship, but also just epitomized the kind of guy that Roland Heeman was to so many people. I mentioned Dave Dombrowski. There are dozens of examples like that and dozens of stories, hundreds of stories, probably this week being retold around Major League Baseball, people who had the same kind of experience. Oh, a wonderful man and uh, somebody that really, as I said, gave much more to baseball than he ever took back. Uh, it was just... Uh, <clears throat> I don't look at it as um, I look at it as a loss for baseball. I also look at it as a a time to celebrate uh, the life of uh, one of the, one of the best people I've ever met and one of the great baseball people of all time. All right, Bruce. So that's the nice stuff. Now the not so nice stuff because I had shared my ballot this week and got picked on and criticized. And boy, did the people come at me on the Twitter wow, machine. Wow, you worry about that stuff. <laughs> no, I'm just saying it facetiously. <laughs> it was fun. You know, I, I like the back and forth. I think the Hall of Fame conversation is lively i think the hall of fame debate is a good one and it's worth having and the controversy if you want to call it that is a part of the annual process i think so when i uh, release my ballot i expect this to be somebody i expect i expect the kind of uh, reaction that i got because of some of the decisions that i made that doesn't make me different from any other voter that chooses to release their ballot but mine included david ortiz that got people a little bit worked up. I explained why, and I'll go into it later, why I picked David Ortiz, but I didn't vote for Barry Bonds, for example, or Sammy Sosa, for example. So my ballot included David Ortiz, Andrew Jones, Scott Rowland, Kurt Schilling, and Billy Wagner. I did not vote for Mark Burley, and that created a lot of consternation as well. 
I love Mark Burley as a player as much as anybody on the South Side, but I do think that um, from a Hall of Fame evaluation standpoint, I don't think he met the criteria that I had established. That doesn't mean he'll never make it. That just means this year I did not vote for him. But in releasing that ballot, Bruce, yeah, thank you. I know. And see, Studs is coming at me. He's one of those guys that probably was tweeting on his burner account. Thank you very much. I'm ready for you. I'm uh, all for creating the hall of the very good players. And it, it should be in Chicago, Illinois. We should find a, a place to house it. Because there are so many players like Mark Burley um, who, who belong in a, in a separate place where th- their, their careers can be celebrated and admired without it having to be up in uh, Cooperstown, New York, where you have to take a, uh, a wagon train and, uh, to get there after you get off of an airplane, and it's impossible to get there. But the reality is is that, yeah, I mean, all, all these guys should be celebrated like Burley. He was a great pitcher for the Chicago White Sox and, uh, and a great player. But, you know, there's, there's only, what, 200 and blank uh, players that have ever made it into the Baseball Hall of Fame. And the discussion like it is on our show today, David, is all about the passion that baseball fans have about this Hall of Fame and these players compared to uh, the Football Hall of Fame, the Basketball Hall of Fame, which is in a mall, uh, mm-hmm. you know, where you, where you can go and get an order of fries and a, and a Coke <laughs> and then go. I mean, it's just the Baseball Hall of Fame is so superior and it's, it's just uh, so much more interesting and debatable. That's why... You know, we're putting a portion of our time into it today because of the fact that, uh, you know, we celebrate these players and only very few get in. And, and it's such a subjective thing. I, I admit before we start talking about the players with, that we pick that I'm hypocritical and subjective about my picks. And, and I think that's where every, every writer who uh, has a ballot uh, gets into because uh, there's no clear-cut way of defining who did steroids if they did, whether they belong or not, and whether you should vote for them or not. There, there's just no clear definition from the Hall of Fame itself uh, telling you how you should uh, how right. you should vote and, and what way you should vote. So there, there's really no guideline. 312-644-6767, what do you think about that? Should there be some direction from the Hall of Fame for each individual voter, or should you leave that up to each voter's uh, personal feelings and professional opinion. That is the one thing I encountered this week as much as anything because I did draw a distinction between David Ortiz and the other people, if you want to put them in a, in a, under an umbrella of the alleged cheaters uh, umbrella, that category. I thought this, Bruce, and I'll be brief. David Ortiz had the endorsement and the somewhat exoneration of Rob Manfred, the baseball commissioner, And I know that he's not the strongest baseball commissioner and certainly not the most respected voice in the game. But in in 2016, when there were uh, suspicions still surrounding David Ortiz and he was retiring and it was his final game at at Fenway Park, uh, Rob Manfred addressed the 2009 New York Times story linking David Ortiz to a positive drug test. He was one of 104 major league players who tested positive, according to uh, the report. And he later admitted taking an over-the-counter supplement for nutrition. But there was, there was not the direct 
cause or the the direct link between him and PEDs that there was maybe with other players, Barry Bonds and Balco, um, Alex Rodriguez and Biogenesis, these kinds of things. His name never appeared in the Mitchell report, and and it, it was a it was Rob Manfred who basically pointed out that there might be a very legitimate explanation that did not involve the use of banned substance. And I felt like the bulk of his career was performed when there was testing in place and he never flunked a drug test. I made that distinction, Bruce. It wasn't a popular one. And yeah. I think I've seen other people make it. Um, other people vote for Ortiz, who's trending pretty highly right now. But I accept the criticism because it is, you know, my own interpretation. And, and we aren't told exactly how to approach this by – by the Hall of Fame, and they, they leave everybody, you know, they leave every individual up to every, every person who votes, like yourself, like me, so we can uh, we can do that. Right. Well, in, in my case, David, uh, first of all, I don't know what team did Manfred, uh, when was he, when did he play with David Ortiz? I don't remember. Was he a manager? <laughs> <laughs> I, I love Rob Manfred, but I mean, Zing. Uh, you know. Zing, Bruce. That, that, okay. That's not... That's not the source I go to uh, when I'm figuring out who to, um, you know, who to vote for. I, uh, what, what, I, what I look at mostly is that Major League Baseball did not have a drug program until 2003 and didn't test until then. And in 2004, uh, it was implemented when uh, more than 7.5% of the initial players tested, tested positive. Okay, it was going to be over 5%. Well, over 5% turned out to be 7.5. So that's when they started. Before that, I don't think it's really fair to judge players on, on whether they did steroids or not because there was no, nothing in Major League Baseball other than these substances were, were illegal to, to, to possess. We know that. But there was no, there was no rule in Major League Baseball stating – you must take a, tr a test to see if uh, if you did, did drugs or not. So when you talk about how many people did it, you're talking about hundreds, maybe even into a thousand uh, players that did performance enhancing drugs. So th therefore, that criteria is a little difficult for me to, to get my head around. I, I look at the players' careers before 2004, and I say to myself, were these guys Hall of Famers or not? And uh, that's how I, I went about mine. With the distinction of uh, Sammy Sosa, because this is his last time on the ballot, I, I decided to pass on that and allow that to go to um, allow that to go to the old timers committees, where I hope that Sammy eventually does get in. So you think that Sammy belongs in the Hall of Fame, or do you think that? Um... I don't think he's going into the Hall of Fame, Bruce. He's not going to get the, the kind of support this year in his final year. As, as that right, right. And that was, that was the reason I didn't, I didn't, I didn't give the vote. Okay. I, I think that I think he eventually should get in, okay? Uh, as, as guys like Bonds and Clemens, who I voted for, and A-Rod, who I voted for, um, these, were, these were great players from the, from the first day they stepped on a baseball field. And uh, I, I took their careers through 2004 and looked at them and decided, you know, this is, this is uh, guys that I'm going to vote for. I voted for guys that were personally obnoxious and, and really not wonderful guys, okay? It, it didn't matter to me. <clears throat> I don't care about Jeff Kent's persona. I had 
difficult times talking to Jeff Kent in, in locker rooms many times where he went out of his way to be a jerk <clears throat> has nothing to do with the, the fact that he is one of the great second basemen to ever play uh, Major League Baseball. I voted for Jeff Kent. I voted for Schilling. I don't agree with everything that Kurt Schilling says in public, but he was one of the great pitchers of uh, all time. Uh, one of the uh, one of the greatest postseason pitchers ever. Um, he got my vote. Um, so it, it's not a popularity contest for me. I voted for two defensive players that might not get in, in Andrew Jones and Omar Vizquel, because I thought they were as good or better as any player that I'd ever seen uh, in in uh, ever in my life play their positions as shortstop and center field. Uh, so this is you know my criteria is different from everyone else's, and uh, yes, I w- I would like some direction from the Baseball Hall of Fame as to what my criteria should be, what all of our criteria should be. I acknowledge that you cannot write the history of baseball without Barry Bonds, Alex Rodriguez, Manny Ramirez, the kinds of players that I left off my ballot, Roger Clemens. I also have a problem, Bruce, I guess that I can't get past, is that those guys were linked to cheating the game. They were linked to doing things that were, you know, illegal and proper, however you want to term it, that they were cheaters. They were alleged cheaters, I suppose, but they used performance-enhancing drugs to enhance their performance, to hit the ball farther, yeah, to throw uh, the ball faster. Yeah, two of them never tested positive. Well, but th- th- that seems to be a technicality, and maybe I'm splitting hairs uh, with I, David I agree Ortiz. with you. I, I agree with you. I believe so they I don't did. know... You, yeah. you can't have a, a baseball museum as Cooperstown has without acknowledging that. So I, I think that, you know, if you want to put a wing for the steroid cheats or alleged steroid cheats and you want to acknowledge all that happened that was um, under suspicion, <laughs> under that cloud, that would be more legitimate than leaving them out entirely. But how do you but know? I, how do you know? I mean, do you know Do you know if Mike Piazza uh, did uh, steroids or not? Do you know if, uh, you know, any of the other players that are in there did steroids or not? How? How do you know, and how do you know who goes behind bars in that little room that you're talking about? That's a great question. Let's get out uh, uh, to the caller. Uh, the score listener line is powered by BetQL. Bet smarter, beat the books. Download the BetQL app today or visit BetQL.com, and we can welcome Jack and Hillside to the conversation. Good morning, Jack. Welcome back inside the clubhouse. Oh, good morning, fellas. Uh, so since you're on the Hall of Fame conversation this morning, and i got to say uh, – to me, it is, uh, as uh, Bruce said, it, it's like no criteria. Uh, it, it is what it is. I, I've never been one to get too worked up about this guy's in and this guy's not. But uh, it's fun to argue about. I'll say that. Uh, so, uh, David, I, your picks, I'm good with most of your picks. Even if they're not mine, I have no arguments uh, with either of you. But uh, since I am a, a Sox fan and since uh, – this issue comes up to, with me in terms of what goes, what's the criteria. So uh, for those who aren't tainted at all, but who embody the game so much that what value do you put on? And, and guys, I thought belonged in the Hall of Fame long ago, including Minnie Minoso, uh, maybe the kind of thing Derek Jeter has. They embody the game so much that we love them. So my question to you, David, Mark Burley was that guy for for as long as he played, 
and so I, I did look at the other criteria real quickly. His war is 59. Billy Wagner's is 27. Billy Wagner saved about 422 games. Burley won 214. About half as many wins as the other guy had saved. So, so David, uh, any reconsideration of Mark Burley being in the Hall of Fame? Jack, great research. I'll answer quickly. Number one, I don't think that Mark Burley did his job and stood out and was as distinguished as a starting pitcher as Billy Wagner was as a reliever. I think that changes the criteria, maybe the war and the numbers in that way. Number two, I think Mark Burley's candidacy over time, Bruce, will evolve and improve because of the weight that we'll put on starting pitchers as they begin to become less important to in Major League Baseball. And the numbers will stand out more. So I don't think Mark Burley is going to stay out of Cooperstown forever. I just didn't feel like I, it was the right, ready now for me to give the stamp of approval because no Cy Young Award winner, not that that's a big you know thing necessarily, but that I still was kind of stopping short of putting him on that ballot. We will talk to a guy who is a comp for Mark Burley next who happens to have just gotten into the Hall of Fame. Jim Cott will join us out of this break. Great tease, Bruce, here on Inside the Clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Mainstay for the Twins made 42 starts last year, completed seven. He had two shutouts and appeared three times in relief. He led the league in those 42 starts, equaled his top previous win total, and enjoyed his best percentage of the year. Welcome back inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 the score. <laughs> 
Yes, that was a highlight from the 1965 World Series, and Jim Cott will remember that well. And, Bruce, that means it's time to go out to our guest hotline, sponsored by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book, where we find our next Hall of Fame guest on this Hall of Fame edition of Inside the Clubhouse. As you said, David, one of the newest Hall of Famers and one of uh, baseball's uh, best people, my friend Jim Cott, uh, nice enough to join us on a Saturday morning on Inside the Clubhouse. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, Bruce. Uh, it's uh, it's great that you took, yeah, it's great you took some time out to talk to us today. And uh, I, I just, uh, you know, let, let's just start with, um, you know, after all these years of um, not making on the regular ballot, being uh, missing on two uh, uh, veterans committee um, nominations, what was that feeling like when you when you got the call from uh, from Cooperstown uh, a couple weeks? It ago? was. Uh... It was, as it was for Tony Oliva, probably more emotional uh, for me rather than, uh, you know, guys that, you know, even if they're not first-year ballot Hall of Famers, they're going to get in in the first two, three years. We probably see some of those on the ballot next month. But uh, to wait that long, and then really I thought my time had passed, I, I... was not optimistic. I told everybody before that that had asked me, I said, you know, it's nice to be in the discussion, but I feel like I'll probably come up a few votes uh, short. And I kind of understood why I was uh, looked at the way writers in the past and some of the committees looked at it. So I understood that and I was at peace with it. So this was uh, this was quite a life changer. Congratulations on on entry into the Hall Baseball Immortality, and I think that's something that you know you you don't take lightly when you're voting for players to to go into Cooperstown. Bruce and I both have a vote, Jim, and and obviously your situation was different in terms of the writers' vote with the committee uh, stamping, you know, giving him your stamp of their stamp of approval. What would you tell voters in terms of if you had any, you know, as we discuss the criteria necessary, as we discuss some of these things that we weigh. You know, David Ortiz versus Sammy Sosa versus Alex Rodriguez versus, you, you know how the debate goes. If you had to talk to a voter and give that voter any sort of advice, what would it be? You're talking about this upcoming crop? Yeah, this crop, the, 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 what we're voting on for this year or yeah. any season, what, in terms of just the, the criteria used to establish whether a guy is a Hall of Fame player or not. Well, I think the careers of all the players that are eligible are Hall of Fame careers. But now, depending on how deeply the writers want to look into either the proof of steroids or the suspicion of steroids and how they look at that, you know, I coached for Pete Rose for a year. I'm good friends with Pete, and I've always said that, you know, he's, he's banned for life, but I always said in that case, and in the cases of, of maybe the other players, that their their plaques and their stats should be displayed in the Hall of Fame, but maybe denied an official induction because of their, uh, you know, because of what was deemed by baseball, uh, you know, as to be illegal. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting conversation, Jim, and uh, and as David said, uh, we were. We've been talking about it. Uh, as far as you go, um, you know, when you look at 16 gold gloves, when you look at 
the fact that you were used as a pinch hitter, when you were looked at as by your manager as a fifth outfielder, <clears throat> I have a hard time not including anybody who was a complete player and played the game uh, with heart for as many years as you did or Tony Oliva or Greg Maddox, who's going to be joining us a little bit later on our show. Uh, <clears throat> because only you and, and the guys that did it really know what it takes to be a professional ball player and be a contributing Major League Baseball player for all those years. You pitched for 25 years. <clears throat> Do you ever just sit back and say, it, it, it's, it's really hard to believe that uh, I was able to do this. There are very few people in the history of the game that pitched 25 years that teams actually wanted on their team to compete and try to win. You were on winners toward the end of your career. Uh, have you ever uh, taken that into consideration when looking at your career? Well, I think when my career was over, I did. But I always felt just uh, very fortunate that um, I was durable. Uh, I had my share of little injuries or nicks here and there, but uh, no, nothing that really ended my career. The most serious one, the end of 67, when in that last start, that was a game if we won, we won the pennant. And I uh, you know, injured my elbow, which nowadays would be called the Tommy John injury. Uh, but I had all winter to rest it. They didn't have the surgery in place then, so I just let it heal on its own. Uh, but I always felt confident that it'll, being left-handed, if I could throw strikes, and, and, you know, you have to make a lot of adjustments. There are some like like Nolan, uh, Nolan Ryan, who probably pitched, uh, as did Sandy in his dominant career, Koufax, they – you know, they never really had to adjust too much. Uh, Roland, I mean, uh, Nolan, I think, added a, a little uh, change-up late in his career. But uh, uh, for me, like Johnny Sane pointed out something interesting early in my career, he said there are pitchers that can get hitters out, like Koufax, like Seaver, Nolan Ryan, etc. The rest of us mortals, we have to give hitters opportunities to get themselves out. <laughs> and so that was always about movement, change of speeds, change your patterns and uh you know so i was that type of pitcher and i think that enabled me to pitch for a longer period of time joined by hall of famer jim cott here on inside the clubhouse chicago sports radio 6 7 the score david hall bruce levine until 11 o'clock talking baseball jim back on august 14 1973 roland heeman pulled off what was described this week as we reminisced about his life and legacy in baseball after he passed away at the age of 92 this was on a list of one of his, some of his best moves in Chicago, and he acquired you from, on waivers from the Minnesota Twins in three seasons with the White Sox. You won 45 games. That's, a, that's very productive for a starting pitcher of any era. What do you remember about those days, and how fondly do you remember being a Chicago White Sox player? Oh, I remember it uh, very, very fondly. You know, I remember the phone call. Uh, I was on the golf course in Minnesota. They said Roland Heeman's on the phone. I knew Roland's name. I didn't know him well. And uh, I was the first player under the 5-10 and 10 rule. I had 10 years in the big leagues for the last five with the Twins consecutively. So I actually was the first guy to have the right to turn that deal down they claimed me off waivers for i think 20 grand or something but i wasn't pitching that well with the twins i was kind of surprised that the white Sox claimed me because uh, the royals and the yankees i thought were looking for a veteran and they would have been able to claim me after the white Sox. but roland said hey we're looking ahead to next year and uh 
I was making $60,000, and uh, he said, you have a right to turn it down. He said, we're, we're prepared to give you a contract next year for 70000 Well, that doesn't sound like a lot of money today for an athlete. I'd have had to win 20 games for the Twins to get that kind of raise. So I said, sign me up. And then, of course, one of the additional benefits was I – Got back with my pitching coach, Johnny Sane, my favorite coach, and then Chuck Tanner, who had such a great influence on my career. So those, you know, one, uh, I had four, four or five starts, I think, in 73, but then two, you know, at that age, two 20-game seasons, that was, uh, that was, that was quite a surprising turnaround. And so, uh, as you might imagine, I, I'm very appreciative of my two plus years in, uh, in Chicago and, and Roland and Johnny and Chuck and what they did for me. David and I were having a discussion, Jim, before you came on about Mark Burley and his uh, great career, you know, a great pitcher, 200 wins, uh, <clears throat> uh, you know, many gold gloves, not quite as many as yours. You're 16, but certainly a great all around uh, pitcher player. And, uh, <clears throat> the, the idea that, um, him like you, uh, very humble guys that will never go out there and uh, try to rally some sentiment toward them getting in the Hall of Fame. Uh, do, do you think your the, the way that you went about it, not not being uh, someone that tried to get people interested or complaining about it, was uh, did that hurt you in the in the long run of not getting in? Many people uh, very similar to you and your stats uh, were out there campaigning to get into the Hall of Fame. What, what are your thoughts about that and, and Burley being one of those modern pitchers now that maybe will be considered down the line? Yeah, I would hope in Mark's case, uh, you know, I don't know his numbers offhand, but, you know, you can't compare um, the statistics in my era with this current era because uh, they went to five-man rotations. Uh, they didn't pitch as many complete games. It was became more specialized. So you have to really judge a player by his era. And in my case, uh, if my career had ended after 75, I think Eddie Randall, uh, New York station that I did an interview with uh, last week, pointed that out, that if my career ended in after 75, I would have been second to Gibson in wins, and I would have been you know, considered more of a dominant pitcher for those 15 years but then I became a reliever so in my case uh, a lot of the voters looked at it as taking a long time to end up achieving what I achieved and and I understand that but I'm fortunate that uh, there are enough good solid baseball people that look beyond that into uh, the fact that I was a reliever and uh, maybe got credit for being a baseball player that just happened to be a pitcher, you know, he took pride in being a hitter, a bunter, a fielder, a base runner. And uh, I would think Mark falls into that category. So I, I certainly hope he gets a lot of support. I heard a lot about him because they said, Hey, here's a guy that works fast, throws strikes. And boy, did he ever do that? He had quite a career. And I know Jim, you're looking forward to July 24th in Cooperstown. That is a ceremony next summer and, and you'll go in with your longtime teammate Tony Oliva but also Minnie Minoso will be inducted and that in Chicago it was a big story and a headline here and I know you guys didn't uh, overlap necessarily as teammates in Chicago because Minnie much older and and came back to, I think at the age of 50 a year after you had left Chicago but over the years had you had some interactions with Minnie and and how uh, pleased were you to see that he's part of this class going in as well 
Oh, I did have interaction with Minnie. I remember seeing him uh, outside Comiskey Park, outside ballparks after the game was over. He he actually got traded to Cleveland, so I faced him more. Uh, I didn't face him a lot, but I faced him a bit when he was with Cleveland. And, of course, right on top of the plate, I think he's he's way up there. And maybe the tops are never getting hit by pitches. But he was, you know uh, – you know, the first big mega star from, from Cuba. So he got a lot of attention. And with me being in uh, southwestern Michigan, I was listening to Bob Elson call the games for years. And I knew all about Minnie and then got a chance to, to meet him. And I'm very happy for him. And I think as uh, Tony Oliva and all the Cuban baseball players are as well, because uh, he certainly had a Hall of Fame career. Jim, uh, we appreciate this very much. Congratulations, uh, David and I are... Really happy that uh, you've uh, finally gotten your due and uh, have a wonderful holiday season. Uh, we wish you nothing but the best. Look forward to July 24th in Cooperstown, New York. Well, thank you. And the same to you guys. I uh, enjoy visiting with you. Thanks, Jim. Take Jim care. Cott, the Hall of Famer, the lefty who spent three seasons in Chicago with the White Sox, Bruce. He won 283 victories overall and 45 of them. I was stunned. I don't remember those days. I knew he had made an impact. I didn't realize it was that big of an impact, Bruce, with the White Sox on the south side. Quite a pitcher in his day. Very quickly, before we go to break, Johnny Sane, his pitching coach in Minnesota and then in Chicago, uh, he was was failing as a starter. He suggested that he goes to a no-wind-up and quick pitch, meaning don't give the batter time to get comfortable, but just throw the ball as quickly as you get it back. Two years in a row, he won 20 games with that method. Uh, Johnny uh, Sane, the pitching coach? Johnny Sane, the pitching coach. Wow. Jim Cott. He, he taught Jim Cott to, to quick pitch and to pitch out of the stretch just it, to, uh, to reinvent himself. And he, he did that. And as you mentioned, David, 45 wins in three years, two of them 20-win seasons. Cott and Sane and pray for rain? Was that the – You got it. Okay. That sounds did you, that's did a you catchy use that one back phrase. In the day? That one might that one might catch on. <laughs> Maybe so. We'll continue this Hall of Fame conversation when we come back. We also have Greg Maddox at ten o'clock. Looking forward to that one. We'll also talk about our Cubs and White Sox uh, memories from twenty twenty one. Stay with us here until eleven o'clock. David Hall, Bruce Levine, Chicago Sports Radio six seventy. The score. Everybody up here at U.S. Cellular. Sox five runs, six hits. The two one to Bartlett. Swing chop to short. Ramirez has it. Throws. Burley picks the perfect game. His second no-hitter. He no-hits the Tampa Bay Rays. People are going crazy here at USLR. He's mobbed by his teammates. A perfecto. Welcome back inside the clubhouse. Chicago Sports Radio 6-7 the score. Oh, that never gets old. Mark Burley's perfect game. Thank you for that highlight. Future Hall of Famer Mark Burley's perfect game. We are here until 11 o'clock. We have Greg Maddox coming up at 10 Bruce, after us, uh, it's Saturday Suckage with uh, Mark Grody, Steve Rosenblum. And don't forget, later tonight, you want to listen to this one because I cannot wait for this game. Colts-Patriots right here on the score beginning at 645. I know a battle of two teams committed to the run excites you, Bruce, on this Saturday night in December. It excites me, and you want to listen to it here tonight on the score. Let's get back to our whole conversation for a second, though, Bruce. Is it Brady and Manning? Uh, in yeah, that game? exactly. Brady versus Manning. No, I don't think I so. I stole that yeah. from uh, Steve Rosenblum, who, okay. uh, by the way, you can hear at uh, 11 o'clock with our uh, good friend Mark Grody as they do Saturday Suckage. 
Mac Jones versus Carson Wentz for the record, but I digress. <laughs> Bruce, so obviously Mark Burley has the credentials that a lot of people will believe get him in the Hall of Fame, or at least I think it's important. And Mully made this point pushing back at me this week, and I think it's a good one. It's important for Mark Burley to stay on the ballot. It's important for Mark Burley to stay on the ballot because I think and really truly believe over time, as I said earlier, his candidacy will strengthen because of the weight that starting pitchers will have as time passes. Right now, his numbers may not stack up. I think in five years, maybe not that long, they'll look more impressive by comparison. Yeah, I, I think you guys make good points uh, because uh, winning – more than 200 games is going to be a rarity in baseball the way that they're honored right now. Look look at uh, Jacob deGrom, considered the, the best pitcher in baseball over the last four or five years, and look at how many wins he has. I mean, it, it, he's won the Cy Young a couple times with one year with winning 10 games, the other year I think 12 or 13. So, uh, it, you know, wins are not, uh, are not an honored stat anymore because – of the, the use of the relief pitcher. I, I think Burley will be looked at differently. I don't know I don't know if he's any different than Billy Pierce. Uh, Billy Pierce, hmm. a great White Sox pitcher for forever, and I considered a Hall of Famer. I, I looked at him during his career no different than Whitey Ford, except that Ford pitched for the machine known as the New York Yankees during that period that went to the World Series every year, and the White Sox... Uh, struggled to score runs with the go-go White Sox of hit and run and stolen bases back then. But uh, Pierce was every bit the pitcher that Ford was. But he's he's never gotten his due. And I, I think I think Burley kind of falls into the same area, even war-wise, that uh, that Billy Pierce was. I think he have, might have a little higher war than uh, than Billy Pierce, but really right up there as far as uh, the quality of pitcher uh, and the dominant pitcher that he was for the White Sox. And Bruce, you know, Jack from Hillside asked me a very interesting question is how do you compare Mark Burley versus Billy Wagner? And he compared wars and, and he asked a really valid question. And my answer initially was, OK, you look at Mark Burley compared to other starting pitchers did not stand out as being exceptional or stand alone in a way that I felt like Billy Wagner did as one of the more elite relief pitchers of his era of any era because of the save. And also, Billy Wagner, when you look at the numbers a little closer, no pitcher since 1900 with at least 900 innings pitch had allowed, few, allowed fewer hits per nine innings than his 5.99. So when you do the weight of that comparison, it's, it makes him stand out to me. Although Billy Wagner, it's tough for a relief pitcher to get into Cooperstown, Bruce. We have seen that in the past with Lee Smith needing as much time as he needed to get in. You're right, but uh, you know, as we just talked about uh, starting pitchers being looked at differently, I think more and more relievers are going to get in because of their impacts are, are so uh, so much Good more point. important uh, now. Yeah. So even middle relievers, you know, will will have a, a a place. You know, if they have long careers of just being dominant middle relievers, I think they're going to be looked at differently uh, moving forward. I, I I do think that. Um, you know, comparing you know guys like Wagner and uh, and other people like that is really difficult. Uh, you did your homework and you you saw uh, the the even though Wagner's career wasn't as long as Lee Smith, he was dominant for a good many years. You look at a guy like Jim Rice who only played uh, eleven or twelve years, and uh, if he would have stayed on as a pinch hitter or a DH for somebody and had diminishing numbers, it probably would have impacted 
him not being uh, going into the Hall of Fame. There's there's a lot of ways to look at it, and I don't. With all the people voting, and, and their picks, I don't I don't I don't say any of them are right or wrong. I'd say just if you do your homework and you have reasons why you do why you make your picks, I think that's good enough. And you know what everyone could agree on, Bruce, when they, whether it's Hall of Fame voting now or it was when he entered Cooperstown, is that Greg Maddox, with his 355 victories and four Cy Youngs, pretty much a unanimous uh, selection. I think Greg Maddox is as good of a pitcher who has ever entered Cooperstown. Would, can we agree on that one? I think we can agree on it and look forward to talking to him out of the break. He'll be coming next on Inside the Clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, 6-7 the score. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, oh, oh. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.